0: Hey, welcome to the space usually occupied by the Scrum, GBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is on hiatus as we do a weekly pop up TV show on Boston's mayoral race. It's called Boston's Race into History. You can see it Fridays at 7 p.m. on GBH Channel 2 or find it on the GBH News YouTube channel. But we are also posting audio of the show here for those of you who prefer podcasts to video. This week, Soraya Wintersmith recaps recent developments on the campaign trail, including Ed Markey's endorsement of Michelle Wu. And a panel, including a former mayoral candidate and a current Boston School Committee member, looks at how the next mayor can improve public education. Thanks for listening. Tonight on Boston's Race into History, despite being a city known globally for its institutions of education, as most who live here know well, not all Boston education is created equal. Shortly before the preliminary election last month, voters said schools or education was the number one issue that affected their vote for mayor. And with heated arguments about charter schools, unions, universal preschool funding formulas, public versus private, and haves versus have-nots, There are plenty of areas for the remaining candidates to declare their differences. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But first, GBH's Boston City Hall reporter, Soraya Wintersmith, joins me on another week of the mayoral ground game. Soraya, good to see you. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, Adam. Good to see you.
0: Let's start with Anissa Asabi-George. She released at an event in Roxbury this week that both you and I attended her Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Agenda. Let's take a look at some of what she had to say when she did.
2: I want to be very clear that this work does not stop here. Every single day, we will continue to be intentional in rooting out inequity and dismantling racism in this city, from education and housing to climate and health care, and even how we fill potholes and fix our sidewalks. As I stated when I first announced my candidacy, I believe in a Boston that sees inequities and injustices every single day, and then tackles them head on.
0: Soraya, if my math is right, she released this agenda about a week after she launched her Listen and Learn tour, at which she was researching for her agenda, talking to communities of color around Boston. That strikes me as a pretty quick turnaround for a document this big, and it is a big document. Why is she moving so fast here?
1: Adam, I think the short answer is that she has to move fast. We have 25 days left before election day and with every passing day, it's a taller and taller order for her to mount a challenge to Michelle Wu. She finished 11 percentage points behind her in the preliminary election. She is down about $200,000 in cash on hand. And then this week, Michelle Wu got an endorsement from the Carpenters Union that cuts into Asabi George's campaign narrative about the building trades, the working people of Boston being behind her. So she's got to do something. I think, politically, this sort of answers questions about her progressive bona fides. remember two weeks ago, folks were concerned about her supporting super PAC having connections to a GOP donor and connections to a GOP financial consulting firm so I think it's going to help her with those questions a little bit and in terms of the turnaround her and her team will tell you that she's been doing the work of trying to figure out how to embed equity into all of city government since
0: before the listen and learn tour so we have to let voters make of that what they will fair enough Uh, she got another endorsement forgive me michelle wu got another endorsement this week let talk about her having momentum on her side Uh, senator ed markey said that he was backing her in the mayoral contest let's take a look at a call to arms or a call to action that he gave his supporters when he announced that he was going to be backing Wu. if we want to elect michelle we have to do the work, we, we can't agonize, we have to organize uh, and do it in a way uh, that puts the Green New Deal on the ballot. So if you wanna join us, join Michelle and me and the
3: Markiverse and the Wooniverse. We're gonna work hard to make sure that we implement a Green New Deal.
0: I love the use of Markiverse and Wooniverse. I really love the classic Markian twist of agonize and organize. Uh, When he does that with crowds, by the way, people go crazy. They love it. Uh, He went on in that video to to make a couple serious points. He said he was going to be uh, working at a phone bank for Woo after endorsing. And he also urged college students who might be watching the video to go out and get registered as soon as possible. Anissa Asabi george Soraya Wintersmith, as you uh, pointed out in a piece you did for GBH News, she backed Markey when he was trying to fend off a challenge from then-Congressman Joe Kennedy III. Michelle Wu did not. She sat that race out. Uh, Why did Markey back Wu here, do you think?
1: It is a glaring political slight, uh, political observers will tell you. I think in this case, it's a testament to the Markyverse and the Wooniverse that he made sure to call out in that video. I think if you were to make a Venn diagram of his supporters and Michelle Wu's supporters, there's a good bit of overlap, even though there may be some Marky people who were bitter about Michelle's sitting out. But I think politicians have to be responsive to their most vocal constituents. And this is a case where he saw where his vocal constituents were and had to make a
0: choice. And Markey has been so out in front of late on environmental issues with this Green New Deal legislation and Wu is probably the local figure who resembles him most in that regard. Wu also uh, got the nod from Wakanda 2, this effort led by former state Senator Diane Wilkerson to unite Boston voters behind, to unite Boston black voters behind one particular candidate in order to maximize their political power. I wasn't surprised by this because Wakanda 2 had been with Kim Janey in the prelim and now Janey has backed Wu and a lot of her supporters are also backing Wu. If it wasn't a surprising endorsement, do you think it's a significant one for Wu?
1: I think this one is a hard one to assess just because there are so many elected officials and groups purporting to speak for or suggest where black voters should go in the next election. Wakanda 2 was stood up specifically for this round of voting this year, but I don't know that if we went to 15 different black voters in 15 different sections of Boston that we would get an answer about who they trust and who they have confidence in, in
0: terms of political opinion. Before I let you go, you are doing a weekly newsletter wrapping up big events on the mayoral campaign trail. How can people subscribe to that?
1: Yes, please do sign up for that newsletter. Go to wgbh.org news newsletters politics.
0: So easy. Soraya Wintersmith, good to talk to you. Hey, See happy you to do it. Bye bye. A year and a half ago, just as COVID was transitioning from a faraway threat into a clear and present danger, the state of Massachusetts released a damning review of Boston's public schools. Among the findings, access to high quality teaching is not assured. Improvement in academic outcomes is largely stalled. Many schools have major deficiencies in their facilities and this, across the district, significant racial and economic disparities persist. Basically, the report said Boston is operating a two-tiered system, with some students thriving in good elementary schools and the city's storied exam schools, as others struggle to simply acquire basic skills and graduate. Another recent report from the Boston Foundation detailed the consequences of those shortcomings. Boston's population has increased in recent decades, but the BPS student population has dropped. Families with money tend to leave before their kids hit kindergarten, and black families that stay often choose charter schools for their kids. As a result, the BPS system is, quote, dramatically less racially and socioeconomically integrated than it used to be. In other words, it is more segregated, with an especially high share of students who are Latino and lower income. As that Boston Foundation report noted, there are national trends at play here. Boston is not the only city with a vanishing middle class or an influx of new residents who frequently don't have kids. Still, both of Boston's mayoral candidates say the city can take concrete, meaningful steps to create a system that works well for everyone instead of a fortunate few.
2: BPS has to work for every child who walks through any BPS building. This idea that we need to make sure that families and kids have access to a high quality education says that not every experience is high quality. And as a classroom teacher, as someone who spent 13 years in the classroom in the Boston Public Schools, as a graduate of the Boston Public Schools myself, has got four kids in BPS. For me, it is about making sure that every experience for every child is a high quality experience.
3: This is deeply personal to me. I am a mom in the Boston public school system. My kids are in first grade and K-1. And this is my second round of being a BPS mom, as I had raised my sister as her legal guardian through middle school and high school. So, after more than a decade of being on the family and guardian and parent side, I know not just how big and bold we need to be aiming for policies and changes to the underlying structures within our system, but how the day-to-day details really affect your experience, the the emotions, the feeling, how you can get out the door for families.
0: But how much can the next mayor really hope to accomplish? And how can she get stakeholders who might be inclined to resist change to embrace it? Joining me to talk it through are Ruby Reyes, director of the Boston Education Justice Alliance, John Connolly, a 2013 mayoral finalist and co-founder of School Facts Boston, and... Zyra Mercer, the current student representative on the Boston School Committee. Thank you all for being here. Zyra, I wanna start with you. I know from a conversation you and I had a couple days ago that that long list of negatives that I chronicled a moment ago doesn't necessarily square with your experience in BPS. Can you tell us a little about your experience and what worked well for you in the system?
4: So, um, previously I attended a charter school from grades K all the way to six. And that one within itself was a completely different and opposite experience than the BPS system. When it came to BPS system, they're a little bit more lenient with behaviors, not in a bad way, but in a good way. They give you chances instead of the automatic, hey, you're out, automatic suspension, automatic written up. They kind of gave you the sit down, talk. Hey, this is what you should do next time instead of doing reacting this way. It was more,
0: I guess, homely and more welcoming. Uh, And yeah, the the impression I got from your description of the charter that you were at was you felt like kids were sort of being standardized and there was more attentiveness to the individual in BPS and encouragement of the individual. Uh, Having said that, I'm wondering if you, either from your own experience as a student or from your time on the school committee, have one or two areas that you would point to where you'd say, you know, this really needs to get better, or they've got the right idea here, but there needs to be more of this or more resources put behind it?
4: I would say maybe around school safety and the code of conduct. Well, I mean, BPS is already kind of working down that route of dismantling or figuring out a way for it to be more friendly to teenagers and students in general. For instance, the going through metal detectors, I don't think that's the best way. I feel like when you have the students walk through metal detectors, get searched, get screened, that's aiding in the prison to school pipeline. That's aiding in them becoming a prisoner in the future. That's not helping anyone. That's creating more trauma and making students not want to come to school because it isn't help and safety. It makes you feel more unsafe because they're like, what are they searching for? What's so dangerous that a student is bringing than to be searched? So yeah, that makes that sense. So that and also um, the whole code of conduct and how it, mostly statistical-wise, it it goes against students of color, predominantly Black and Latinos, and it's not fair. It's like, you're going to school just to go to school. My What I wear shouldn't really matter too much. Like, just mm. because I show a little bit too much ankle shouldn't mean that I should be kicked out of the school, et cetera, yeah. stuff like that.
0: OK, thank you. Uh, there are some points, and I want to make this clear to viewers, there are some points where the candidates in the mayoral final agree. Uh, both of them say that students need much better facilities to learn in. Both of them say that there needs to be more support from people like guidance counselors, and nurses, and social workers. And they also agree that Boston needs to do a better job with vocational education. Let's take a look at what Asabi, George, and have to say on that.
2: I've got a commitment my first hundred days as mayor of this city to roll out a strategic plan around Madison Park vocational technical high school. I had a technical experience when I was in high school. Our kids deserve a first-class experience in vocational technical education. We think about the workforce. We think about preparing kids for the rest of their lives. We can do that through vocational technical education. I am committed to investing in and building a Madison Park that is the gem the gem of our school system here in the city of Boston.
3: We are in a changing moment for our economy, and how we build our workforce and how we connect our young people to opportunity in Boston will determine how we fare as a city when it comes to closing the racial wealth gap and when it comes to being on a solid footing for the jobs of the future.
0: John Connolly, some of the points of agreement uh, between the candidates reminded me of things that you were saying on the campaign trail back in 2013. Maybe not verbatim, but in terms of the, the gist. Uh, I'm wondering, from your vantage point, if the conversation has advanced since 2013, or are people who want to change the school system still stuck, saying they want to change the same things that people have wanted to change for years?
5: Uh, I, I think the uh, dialogue has, has fallen back. Um, you know. I I hear um, platitudes from both candidates, but I don't hear a lot on specifics. Um, And I I think that's the biggest concern I have. And I don't hear the parent voice being brought into the conversation enough and the family voice so that we hear from more from the experiences of students and parents uh, as really the the cornerstone to, um, to, to drive change in our Boston public schools.
0: Uh, my guess is that if either of the candidates tunes in, that they'd object and say, "Hey, wait a minute! I'm a I'm a BPS parent," and also I think I should say for the record, you were an Andrea Campbell supporter, correct? In the prelim,
5: I was. Yeah. Okay. I just, was. Just wanted um, to put
0: that out there. Um, yeah. I I may uh, be asking a question that you've anticipated the answer to in in uh, your first response, but. From your vantage point as someone who was a city councilor who led the education committee, ran for mayor and nearly won with a focus on education and has done advocacy work since then, what is the biggest impediment to the kind of change that you believe the system needs? Well,
5: I think it's the work and culture inside um, the central office. I think that's where it has to start. We need to create a system where uh, we empower schools at the school site level and the central office views its job as to be in service of the schools and that we build school communities with strong parent voice, strong family voice, strong student voice uh, and a collaborative approach between principals and teachers. But that's not how the system works right now. It's a, it's a top down system where the central office is out of touch with what's going on Uh, you know, in the individual schools. And I would say, like, there are success stories in BPS. We heard one to open this uh, segment. BPS does uh, some good things. There are schools that do a good job. But the biggest thing that you're trying to tackle here is how do we create a system of schools that work um, for everyone? And we don't, and, and that is far from the case presently.
0: Ruby Reyes, uh, one big point of difference between the two mayoral finalists is where they stand on reforming the school committee. Uh, there's been a home rule petition filed by a couple of Boston city councilors that would make it unelected body, no longer a, a mayorally appointed body. There's a non-binding ballot question that Bostonians are gonna be voting on, but whether they think that's a good idea. Uh, Michelle Wu has said she likes the idea of a majority elected body, but with some appointed slots reserved so that people with certain areas of expertise are part of the policy-making discussion. Anissa Asabi-George has said that she would reform the school committee so that it is partially appointed by the mayor, and partially appointed by members of the city council. You, I know, are a proponent of a fully elected school committee. From your vantage point, how would shifting to that mode of governance improve conditions for students in BPS?
6: Um, I think it would give a lot more opportunity for the democratic process to be fostered in the Boston public schools. Um, We have on this call, our only elected school committee member um, Zyra, she's elected through the Boston School. Um, uh, I'm sorry, through BSAC. Um,
0: Student Advisory Committee.
6: And, right. And they're not allowed to vote. The, the BSAC representative is not allowed a, a formal vote. And so you see usually when you go to school committee meetings where um, the breadth and analysis and and, um, and experience of our, of our young people and parents and educators um, is usually shared in school committee testimony. That That's like one of the very few places where we're able to actually have a voice and provide input. And so I, I feel like that needs to change. Um, our current system is one where the, the only people who vote are appointed by the mayor. And we've seen um, decisions be made through the mayoral push that end up hurting communities, such as, for example, the McCormick school, um, their, their green fields were given away to the, the boys and girls. I remember of Dorchester.
0: That. Yeah. Even though and the school so wanted to keep it.
6: The school wanted to keep it. The community wanted to keep it. Um, families came out in droves to school committee begged for their green fields to stay in place. Um, we had COVID where, we were talking about the importance of green space and being outside, um, and clearly it was a political decision to give their green space away to the Boys and Girls Club. Um, so you're, it was only passed by three members. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like you're saying that if the school committee were, in fact, democratically elected, that sort of thing would be less likely to happen, right? People would be more attuned right. to. Okay. Um, I want to. And stay- we'd also
6: have more lovers of communication and more lovers of decision making
0: for families and students. Uh, Zyra, I would love to get your take on a big debate, which as you know better than me, has roiled the school committee and the education community in Boston over the course of the past year. Uh, The debate over changing the way Boston's exam schools work. Tell me if I've got this right. My understanding is that now the new system uh, that is gonna be implemented soon will divide all the students who wanna go to the exam schools into social economic tiers based on where they live, it will allocate a certain number of spots for students from different socioeconomic tiers, uh, and then those spots will be distributed uh, in a fairer way, that's the idea, with grades counting for more than test scores, the test scores that used to be kind of the end-all and be-all. As a student in BPS and someone who was part of these discussions, do you think that the shift with the exam schools is important for the system as a whole?
4: I believe it is because the tests themselves are not fair. For schools like BLA and BLS, they have enough money to prepare for these tests, right, if they want to. But if someone was coming from another school that's, for instance, the McCormick, that doesn't have that much money, they're less likely to have the tools and the opportunities to study enough of the tests to even pass. When I took the test, I was confused out of my mind. The first time I was like, what even is this? I go to a school in Cambridge. It's like, I was just, I was confused. I'm like, I've never even seen or heard of these things. And I thought I did, I thought I did good, but I was like, it's the best I could do. The second time around, I am enrolled in a BPS school. I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna do better because it's a BPS test, I'm in a BPS school. Took it again. It was like, I don't know, it felt worse. It made me feel dumb. I know I'm not dumb, like I made good grades. And it's like, if I make all these good grades with my efforts to school, why am I not passing and getting into this school? It, it just makes you feel, it just doesn't
0: make you feel good. I want to uh, highlight a point of, or a couple points of contrast between the two mayoral finalists. And then we'll come back to you and uh, uh, John and Ruby. When I asked each of them, what sets you apart from your opponent on the issue of education? Here is what they both had to say.
3: Our school's plan has been described as the boldest vision for what's possible, and in some ways has been met with skepticism, because we in Boston have been told for year after year that this is all we're going to get, that it's not possible to actually see change, that we have to tolerate a very delicate balancing act for families to try to figure out how to navigate this system. Every child in our city deserves access to this mecca of education that we are sitting in.
0: And Anissa Sabi George took a different tack, which will be familiar to anyone who's been watching this race.
2: First and foremost, I'm a former classroom teacher. I spent 13 years teaching in the Boston Public Schools. I'm a graduate of the Boston Public Schools. You know, I got my, you know, my, my, uh, political interest in especially municipal government started as a student at Boston Technical High School which is now the O'Brien I was a member of my student council I was a member of the Boston Student Advisory Council is where I realized um, very significantly how important municipal government is
0: all right I want to do a rapid-fire round here going to Ruby and then John and then Zyra we've got about two minutes between the three of you Ruby uh For either of these women, whoever wins in November, if they came to you and said, in the first 100 days, what's the most important thing I can do to get BPS on the right track? What would you say? I would say using the racial equity tool on all policy decision makings and focusing on literacy. And the racial equity tool, tell me if I'm right here, it's supposed to identify how a specific decision might affect matters of racial equity, but frequently it doesn't get used as plans are made. Is that right? Okay. Yes. John Connolly, how about you?
5: Uh, I, I would like to see them uh, take Madison Park and follow John barros's idea, and I think this is the issue that is um, the the problem with what we're hearing right now is they speak in platitudes, they never talk about how. And if you want to change the Boston public schools, you have to make tough decisions and you have to spend political capital, which politicians you know, typically aren't successful when they do that, but you've got to spend political capital, make tough decisions, and you're gonna have battles on your hands. The how matters. John Barrows probably gave us the most courageous idea in the race when he talked about taking Madison Park out of BPS uh, to break uh, free of all the administrative entanglement and give the kids of Boston the world-class voc Tech school that they deserve.
0: All right, Zyra, you got the last word here. About 35 seconds. What would your counsel be to whoever wins in November for their first 100 days?
4: I would say make BPS more equitable and fun for students. That's it. And also more student-led and have student voices be the forefront of their education.
0: Uh, Student voices being the forefront in 15 seconds. How do you do that?
4: Talking to students, easy. Google surveys, calling, emailing, texting, anything. We're always ready to talk about any issue.
0: All right. Zyra Mercer, Ruby Reyes, and John Connolly, thank you all for being here to unpack this. Before we go, on last week's show, one of our panelists suggested that Narcan, the drug used to reverse opioid overdoses, could become less effective or even cause damage when used repeatedly. We have examined that claim and found no evidence that's the case. That's going to do it for tonight, but do come back next week. We'll continue to explore the biggest issues of the mayoral race, focusing on one of the biggest areas of difference between the two candidates, their visions of what policing in the city should look like moving forward. We'll dig into their differing proposals and the biggest divides between them next Friday at 7 here on GBH2 and online at gbhnews.org. For now, thank you for watching and good night.